So y'all probably know how much I love Jenny Nash's blueprint books. They really are the closest thing I've found to a guide for getting through draft after draft. I start with them and I go back to them when I'm stuck. Her blueprints keep me on track and help me write the book I set out to write for the readers I hope to reach. For memoirists, I have fantastic news. Her newest blueprint, Blueprint for a Memoir, How to Write a Memoir for the Marketplace, is coming August 1st, 2023. So if you're listening to this in real time, there is a fantastic event available only to those who pre-order a live or recorded if you want to wait, deep dive into the four key steps of memoir writing with a chance for Jenny Nash to select you for a live hot seat coaching session to review your work and an entry to win her grand prize, a written review of your blueprint and an exclusive 50-minute strategy session with Jenny. I think this blueprint is Jenny's best yet with insights into storytelling that I'll be using in all of my work. So find all the details for the book and the pre-order event at bookcoaches.com backslash podcast. And of course, as always, link in the show notes. I'm KJ Delantonia, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the weekly podcast about writing all the things, pitches, proposals, fiction, nonfiction, memoir. This is the podcast about finding a way to sit down and get the hard work done. I am KJ Delantonia. I am the author of three novels, The Chicken Sisters, In Her Boots, and Playing the Witch Card, which, if you are listening to this in real time, is coming out in September of 2023. I'm also the author of the nonfiction book, How to Be a Happier Parent, and the former lead editor and writer of The Motherlode at The New York Times. Usually, y'all are listening to me with Serena Bowen and Jess Leahy, but in this summer series, I am coming to you with a bunch of conversations between me and Jenny Nash and a few guests on the topic of turning sparks into ideas. The conversation between me and Jenny that you are about to hear is absolutely one of my very favorite new techniques for turning sparks into ideas or generating sparks within your head. And it is perfect for the summer travel season. I love playing what I call the airport game. Um, You're going to hear the details about how I do that in just a minute. And let me just say, I hope you love it as much as I do. And if you do this successfully, I would love to hear about it. So sign up at um, amwritingpodcast.com. What the heck is our... Yeah, it's just amwritingpodcast.com will work perfectly well. And reply to any set of show notes and tell me what you did with the airport game, how you played it and how it turned out for you. Because I, I just adore this as sort of one of my favorite ideas that I have come up with and turned into something real and functional. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Jenny, and I hope you enjoy playing the airport game. So this is a series about honing your book ideas. It's not about exactly coming up with the idea or where ideas come from, um, because most of us have many, and 
assorted, you know, stored in assorted places, which we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. Um, but this, the, today, what we're going to talk about is like noodling and shaping the ideas that you already have and contemplating your goals and the realities of the marketplace and then uh, trying to um, create a process for choosing what book is the right book for you to work on next. I love this topic so much. And we wanted to focus on this really early moment. I was inspired by some things that KJ is doing, which we're going to get to. But this part of the process is largely invisible. You don't see it. You know, people don't often talk about it. It sometimes goes very quickly. And, and it's not very conscious in most people's minds. But as with anything, if you bring intention to this part of the process, odds are good that you're going to do better work. So that's why we're excited about honing in on this honing in place. So KJ, what do you do when, I mean, I know you and your listeners know you, you have a gazillion ideas. You are a person with many, many ideas. You are, yeah. you, you know how to think in story. That's what I always say. Well, <laughs> and I could easily like, you know, just grab sort of one tiny thing and, and run with it and try to turn it into a book with mixed degrees of success. So how do you go from all those ideas in your head, all those vague and shiny ideas to something more solid? What's the very first action you take? So I have this new thing that I do that I am really excited about. And I started it uh, last summer and I call it the airport game. So I go to, and maybe like, is this like, is that, yeah, I think this is going to be a thing I do all the time. Now I've done it more than once and I, I really love doing it. So I go to the airport or rather I'm already at the airport. Like, <laughs> Hi security. You should let me in because yeah, I got some no, work to do. I got, I got something I got to figure out. Although that would be very productive for me if they would let me back there. Cause you'd get a lot done in an airport anyway. So when I'm at the airport and you could probably do this in a train station too if you look in a town live in a place with a big enough train station but at the airport I go in not the bookstore if you're lucky enough to have an airport with a bookstore but like the smallest place that sells books so on the east coast that's going to be a Hudson in Texas it's something else I've seen that down in Atlanta they're like yeah sometimes it's book people well book people is a real bookstore that's not going to work are they in the airports I think they're in the Texas airport they are but that's not what I mean they are. Okay. Oh, you That's mean wrong. like I mean like the place that sells snacks and bottles of water and headphones and you know things to occupy your t- child on a plane that aren't going to work and at, at a ridiculously absorbent prices and they have one shelf of twenty books and that's okay. it. Like there's no selection here because that's the whole point. Got so, it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now you take a picture of this shelf and then you go and you, you get on your plate. Um, and then you pull up that picture and you take a look and you try to figure out, okay, of these 20 airport books, which ones could I reasonably have written? Uh, you know, which ones are in my genre for one thing. So you can cross out, uh, you know, the super duper secret to Harvard business school success, or, or if you can't, you can't like, that's fine. If that, or if that's Michelle Obama, you can cross becoming. out Michelle Obama. <laughs> you presumably cannot write that, um, or even your version of that. And then, um, you figure out what genre you're working in. So for me, I cross out the thrillers. I'm not a thriller writer. Um, I cross out the series because I don't write series. Um, I cross out YA because there's usually one or two YA title titles there. Um, so I, I, 
I crossed those out and said, for then for me, I am left with the big titles of that moment in basically commercial fiction, women's fiction, and romance. So before we even talk about, I mean, there's so much to talk about <laughs> around this idea. What what are you doing in in that moment? First of all, why not the big bookstore? And then and then second of all, so first, why not the big bookstore? Because I want to write for the most readers possible while recognizing that nobody writes for all the readers. Um, so what I am trying to do is figure out what's selling. Yes, but it's not just about what's selling. It's like, what, what, do, what do the people want? You know, when someone is about to get on a plane and they want to not be scared or they want to while away three hours, what, and I trust the Hudson or whatever to know the answer to that. I mean, to some degree, they're determining it. And the question of how books get on the shelf is a different question. But, you know, you're, you're rarely surprised by the titles that, that face you there. Occasionally you are. And so these are the books that are doing the thing that I want my book to do, which is to uh, distract someone and bring them pleasure and entertainment in a moment when they need it. Um, but you are not, sometimes people talk about writing to the market, like, oh, vampire books are big, so I'll write a vampire book. That's not what this is about. No, I'm trying to figure out why these books are here and what mm -hmm. it is about them that is something I can take into my own work. So this is like a sort of a twofold game. And the first part piece of it is exactly that. Like, why is this book here? Mm -hmm. Why this book? Why this big piece of commercial fiction and not that big piece of, of commercial fiction? Because And, you know, a, another good way to do this would be to go in multiple airport mixtures, but... Honestly, you're, you're going to see the same. There's going to be five or six or ten titles that you just see over and over and over and over again. And that's and some authors will have two. And it's just like, what, what are they doing? And it's not so much I want to be them. I want to imitate them as it is. What is it about their do, what they're doing that's speaking to people? Because there's not, you're going to see, we're, I'm going to talk about the books that I found. It's not, they're not all the same. They're definitely not all the same. Um, so but they have looking, some things in common. You're looking for, if we think of a Venn diagram, a place where what do the what do the readers love? What are people gravitating toward? What are those bookstores putting forward? So that part of the Venn diagram, and what does KJ have yeah. in her her brain? Yeah, and and where's that? Where does that Venn diagram cross in terms of like what can you learn from? those books, it's not so much, oh, I'm going to uh, copy that or I'm going to do what they do. It's more like, how do I take what I do and see where it overlaps with them? Is that is that the right way to think about it? Yeah. And how do I um, take what I can learn from looking at those books and use it to inform how I shape the ideas? So, I mean, you can do a different version of this when you're in the middle of a project where you go and you look through the books that are similar to your project and then you dig into your project and figure out, well, what's in here that is in common with these and what do I have that, or what do they have that I don't? And this is not saying, this is not sadly a magic formula for writing an airport book. It's just a way to try to um, 
bring what you are already doing or already want to do more in line. That that sounds like um that that phrase is a little. Uh, I I'm not loving the phrase in line, but um, I guess to align that's better to align the stuff that you want to work on with the stuff that people want to read because we want readers. I mean, we've talked about this before. I'm, I am actually not writing for me. I am writing to be read. Um, some people are writing for them. That's, that's just not, that's not who I am. And it's not where I'm coming from. So given that I'm writing to be read, what do I have inside me that interests me that I would like to spend two years on that also aligns with what people would like to spend two hours reading? Well, and what I hear you getting at too is the the books that become beloved. I mean, there's so many elements to them and there's everything from luck and timing that puts those books in front of a lot of people. But there's also, you use the word shape, which is a word I always love. How are we shaping this idea? What are we, what is the shape this idea is going to take? And And those books that are beloved have, there's something that they do with their topic. All the topics are the same, really. I mean, sort of ish, right? Yeah, um, there's only so many stories, and um, and I mean, yeah, it's, like take a romance. Why does one of them just you know rise to the top? What's in there? What's different? Um, and I am I love romance. I am not, but it does adhere to a particular um, formula. Right. And, but some things really trans and lots of things. There's so much good romance, but some things really transcend and, and hit. And you'll see if you play this game, if you go to the airport, some of the books will be things that you that have been around for years. Right. And some of them will be new. And some of those ones that are new will drift away. Some of them will become things that have been around for years. When you said YA, I immediately thought John Green's The Fault in Our Stars is on that shelf. It, Potentially. It's been, on, it's been yeah. on that shelf for a long time. Mm-hmm. It probably will be on that shelf. That There's some perennial uh, perennial ones on that shelf. Yeah, or then there'll usually be a YA fantasy. I didn't call up the actual picture for this. I should have. Oh, of your airport. Well, while you do that, I want to brainstorm if people are listening and they're thinking, well, I'm not going on an airplane this summer uh, because prices are so high or my family's not traveling or what have you. How can I do this game in a way that doesn't involve going to an airport? And brainstorming that is is trickier because one of the things that you're talking about that the airport does is they're putting those books in front of you. They've chosen those 15 or 20 books to put in front of you. So how could how could somebody replicate that that piece of this game if they're not going to an airport? She's still searching for the picture. <laughs> I, well, I found Wait. one of them. Um, <laughs> I found the one from a bookstore in Spain, but I wanted to find... Here they are. Yeah, I got them. I got them. Okay. Um, how could you replicate? You could... You know, you could hit the indie next, you could go to the most mainstream bookstore in your town and then only look at the front shelves. You kind of risk only seeing front list 
If you do that, and the interesting thing about an airport is, and by front list, I mean things that have been published in the last year. Um, the interesting thing about an airport bookstore is that's not what you're going to get. So mm-hmm. how, where, um, any, oh, Walmart, Costco. Target. Yeah, yeah. And so then you're going to have to take a slightly larger look, because they will have both front list and the other stuff. Yeah. So, but that is another really good, a really good place to look. That's a great idea. Okay, so so um, you're looking, you're, you've got your picture, and now you're on the plane with your picture. Well, no, and... I, so I wanted to talk through my picture. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Did, I did find it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, so it's like, it's a picture. There's uh, six shelves of books and a rack of stuffed animals. <laughs> and there are <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, there are maybe 36 books on this. Totally. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so this was a slightly bigger, it was probably a slightly, like a slightly more expanded version of, of what we've been talking about. And then, so we were talking about how there's going to be, so there's a George R.R. R. Martin, there's a Nicholas Sparks, um, there's some Colleen Hoover, there's always going to be some John Grisham, um, some thrillers. Uh, what's the YA? You know, I think this particular place had had multiple had a second shelf that had, oh, there's some graphic. Anyway. So when you're doing your initial thought process, you said James Patterson, you're not going to write a book like that because he's writing series and that's, that's, it's not just topic that you're looking for. It's concept as well or right. kind of so, book. Yeah. So the bookstore I was in had two different shelves and they had, so a total of 12 shelves with, Everything from mass market paperbacks to um, hardbacks, which really interested me. I, I mean, there were there thirty baller hardbacks in there, um, as well as paperbacks. So that kind of that interested me too. So then I I just looked at these and I, I figured out okay of these, which 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 do I wish I'd written or which could I have potentially written? Um, and some of them. I didn't know and I had to look up. So that was kind of, that was kind of, that's the key to taking a picture instead of just like sort of making a mental note. So I'm looking at my picture and the ones that I pulled out as things that I either wished I had written or could have written. Um, there's an Ellen Hildebrand. This one's the Hotel Nantucket, but honestly it doesn't matter. That's a book about family that takes place in a small place. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a specific it's a specific thing. There's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. That is big commercial fiction. Um, that one interests me because it's multi, I, its readers are, um, men read it and women read it. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot that fits, there aren't a lot of things women write that men read. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole podcast right there, but, but, but there we go. So there was that one. There was something called Fellowship Point by Anne Elliot, Alice Elliot Dark that I had literally never heard of. So I marked that just out of sheer like, I've never heard of that. What 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 is that? <laughs> there's there's a piece of historical fiction that I've never heard of, but I could just tell you right now that it's three women walking away from the camera on a cloudy day wearing period clothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's every historical novel ever. Um, I don't write, I'm not going to write historical novels. So I I didn't mark, but it just made me laugh because yeah, that's what we put on the covers of this. So that was one shelf. That's all I took off of that one shelf was really 
Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, the Ellen Hildebrand, and then that one I, I didn't know about, um, Fellowship Points. That was one shelf. And then the other shelf had two Emily Henrys. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I pulled those out. Absol- absolutely. Um, it had uh, a Leanne Moriarty. A Taylor Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Mm-hmm. Um, the Inheritance of or- or- Orqueda, Arcadia Divina by Zoraida Cordova. And I have read other things by her, and I like her a lot. So that's going to be like um, a witchy, magical, uh, magical, magic, realism. heavy magic realism, mm-hmm. but set largely in the present. So I pulled, I definitely um, marked that one. Yeah, and I think there were a couple. I think there were a couple others. As I as I talk about the ideas that I keep. So based. Okay. So here, then I made a list. I just found my list. So I was going to be on the plane for six hours because I was flying to California, and I wrote down the inheritance of Ordina Divina. Oh, the Party Crasher by Sophie Kinsella. Where the Crawdads Sing. I didn't mention that, but it was there. Huh. The Wish. I don't even remember that. Uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Book lovers. And people we meet on vacation. Those were the mm-hmm. Emily Henry. Emily Henry, right. Um, the Hotel Nantucket. And I think I wrote down Apples Never Fall. And then I challenged myself. The idea. So as I instruct you on how to play the game, I think that the idea is to take however many hours you're going to spend doing it. I wasn't really going to spend six hours doing this. So I think I spent three hours, six books, six ideas were things that interested me that shared the qualities of these books. So the first thing that I had to do was to figure out, okay, what is it about that book that put it on this shelf? And then what could I imagine myself doing that would sort of fit into those? And I sort of, I, I set a timer, like really. Um, so this is, this is very intentional. That's what makes it that's, a game. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love. That's what I love. So when you set the timer, the goal is, what is it about this book that overlaps with the things I want to do? What is it about this book that put it on the shelf? Mm-hmm. So to, to narrow down, because you can't be like, well, um, this is a story about sisters on Nantucket. What could I write that's about sisters on Nantucket? That's not what it is about an Ellen Hildebrand that right. um, draws in the readers. And yeah, Ellen, I mean, the name, she's got right. that. But the things she writes are, are accessible, to the rest of us. So, and the other thing I guess I, I want to, the point I want to make is that I, I was, I always have like a sort of a, a, either a list or a slew or just a little collection of ideas or things that have caught my eye or um, meet cutes or uh, careers or, um, you know, sort of plotty, uh, inciting incident kind of stuff. I have a list of those in my journal and I always have a mental list of them. So Frequently, as I do this, I'm letting those float up to stuff them to, to see where they might fit. So, yeah, so that's a, a piece of it's not like you have to come up with new ideas. That's not the game here. The game is what is it about this book and what do I want to do that would that might also fit into that? Um, and it could be something that you know you've halfway approached already or you could be like I'm gonna pull this out of this other idea you know there's lots of things so this isn't exactly like 
beating your head for new ideas. I don't think I could come up with six new, totally new book ideas in three hours. Well, you're and you're making a really critical point because like the, the Ellen Hildebrand, you're not you just said it's not like oh two sisters on Nantucket I will do three sisters on Martha's Vineyard like that's <laughs> right no. that's not not what we're talking about here we're talking about I mean it's it's interesting it's taking us a while to pin it down because it's just quite ineffable and it's not Let what makes a bestseller I... right it's right. not that that's not what we're looking for because to your point like the Emily Henry what makes a bestseller I mean, she is who she is. Her books are great. Like, there's so many things. Yeah, but that but... first book was not she is who she is. Because yeah. she wasn't. Yeah. She wasn't. She had written YA. You guys, uh, y'all should listen to her on our podcast. She was one of the great, she was a great guest. We had a wonderful conversation about dialogue. Um, but she had written three YA books. Everybody thinks that was her first book. It was not, which is notable. Um, but yeah, it wasn't that. So I just, just to, to hone in on Ellen Hildebrand. So I did Ellen. These are, I, I've got my, me playing the game, and Ellen was the one I did third. So, Ellen Hildebrand, and this is what I came up with for, like, what was making that book um, special. Uh, families who vacation together. Families who, sticks together, to, who um, stick together. Uh, successful uh, women in one area. That, you know, successful in life, but not in love. Um, she had that particular book had a through the years trope. So people who had known each other for a long time reappearing in each other's lives. Um, it also had second chance romance, which I personally love and a lot of people do. Um, that is a really, it's that super buttery, desirable idea that people from your past might you know, reappear in the present and become important to you. Um, people really like that. I, I really like that. Okay. Um, it has a getting the band back together theme in this one. <laughs> and that's not literal. I forget. I don't remember who they got back together in this one. Maybe it was, you know, the old, the old staff from a pizza parlor. It right. could be anything. Um, but people like that. Like that, those are... As you look at the book, you, you're looking for things that you also recognize from other popular, other books that people have loved. And it's like these are, um, oh, uh, Theodora Taylor calls them universal fantasies. So you're mm. kind of looking for the universal fantasy within this. You know, this is the thing, the thing that makes this grab people. Now, Stick. every book, yeah, yeah, every book that I pulled out here is commercial because that's what I write there. Was there any literary fiction on those? There were a couple of, of things of literary fiction in, and I don't know, we could argue for ages about what that distinction is, but I would argue that the ones, the literary fiction that ends up in that airport bookstore have these elements of universal fantasy. They are more appealing than your more esoteric, um, you know, piece of sort of limited. So like Lily King is um, writers and lovers was her. And that's, very, you know, it's definitely literary fiction. Everyone categorized it as literary fiction. And yet it had, uh, it had a coming of age story. Mm -hmm. That's a universal fantasy. It's not one I like, but it, mm -hmm. that's something people love. It had a figuring out 
who's doing you wrong and and getting rid of them plot, which (laughs) must have a better name. But um, I like that. That's some that's something that works for me is like uh, recognizing. So so call it um, recognizing a dysfunctional relationship and extracting yourself. That's, you know, people like that. Why? Because people are in distracting dysfunctional relationships that they need to extract themselves from. And it had a sort of a proving to people that you um, are are good enough to be who you are, do what you want. Those are you could put you could stuff those in an Ellen Hildebrand book. You could stuff those in an Ellen Henry book. Um, and I, I would argue that the reason that a book like Writers, Lovers, and Lovers might be on an, an airport shelf is because it has those things. And yeah, then it's just it's just a different kind of reader who wants a different reading experience beyond that. It's fairly interesting. And the the same, I have done a similar thing, not with the beautiful intention and timer and photo and game, gameishness <laughs> that you bring to it. But I often look at airport bookstores and, and I often am looking at the nonfiction and just thinking, why, why are these here? Mm-hmm. What is it about these books that are here? You know, it's, it's the same thing. It's okay. It's Adam Grant and it's, Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk. And it's, you know, it's, you can sort of, you know, they're not unexpected, but it's that, okay, here they are. I know, I recognize these, but why? 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 Yeah. And and it's not just, oh, they're the big sellers, so they're there. That's not it. It's, there's something about them that makes them the big sellers. And you're trying to get at what that, what that is. And again, it's a way of shaping the material or looking at it or, what that reader experience is going to be like in that in and that book. Speaking to similar universal fantasies, really. Um, Absolutely. A fiction book is about a character changing. A nonfiction is about you changing. Right. The narrative of those nonfiction is um, you imagining that you have changed in this right. way as you read the book. Right. It's be a better leader, be a better uh, partner in your relationship. Be Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's that uh, optimistic self uh, efficacy sort of sort of a thing. Um, So, okay, so you've done this with the books and you and you set your timer and you you really are putting your mind to Ellen. What is it that people love about this? And what do you do with that knowledge? Um. And then I sit down and I think, uh, what, what about, like, can I imagine a family that's vacationed together for X years in the same place that would interest me to write about? Um, what about it would interest me? What's a location that, um, that would work for me? Or like, what is something that's been nagging around in my head that, would you know that would sort of fit this and i will say i don't i don't i don't love the ellen the, the ellen hildebrand idea that i came up with i i didn't end up i don't love and i think part of it is that i was just spitballing i didn't find anything in my you know in my heart or in my idealist or in my things that i have stuck with me that fit this so um, some and of those, also, yeah, a lot of what I found was kind of on the sad side. Some like, of the things that, that you're talking about on your list or that stuck in your head could just be 
snippets or little moments or, oh, yeah. or, or you said professions or little ideas. So you're looking at all of those things and saying to yourself, is there a family whose vacation together component to any of my snippets? Kind is that of. fair? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only thing I came up with that has stuck in me for a long time and now I'm, now I'm looking at it and going, Ooh, I know where else this could fit. Um, <laughs> is the idea of Boston people versus Manhattan people. They're very different. <laughs> and, and I have a lot of experience with that and I like to think about that. So that is the only, like, if I was to circle one thing, and I'm, in fact, I'm going to circle it. Oh, um, you guys just got a one in this, Yeah, if I was to circle one idea in this, that would have been it. Boston, like, that leaps out at me now a couple months later, um, pulling this, pulling this out. So, yeah. That's so fun. that was what I did with Ellen Hildebrand. I feel like I, then I did, so when I did Emily Henry, I concluded partly that, I, I loved Beach Read. It's a really good book. Yeah. You could not have just titled anything Beach Read and kept it selling the way that, that it did, but you could have titled anything Beach Read and gotten something of a bump out of it. The title was part of that. Like, yeah. It's, it is like, to me, it's one of the great examples of a really successful and, and wonderful um, romantic comedy, and I adore it. But I also love the title. So the first thing I did was I wrote, 40 titles that were like that. And you know what the funny thing is? One of the ones I came up with, somebody's used since. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with romantic comedy. It's on my list. It's Curtis Sittenfeld's book that's out, but oh, now it's called romantic comedy. And I was like, yeah, and she did. And it fits the title. I did. I, I'm not like, I thought of that. I, it's just, I have a list of brainstorming, which that is not one that I um, circled. So it's like the meta title. To the yeah, meta, that's what I yeah. was doing. Like, come mm-hmm. up with the meta title that is like, oh, I'm looking for a beach read. Hey! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I came up. So for, for that one, I was trying. I, I did two things. And one of them was titles like that. And the other one was, um, it's a very booky rom-com, which is really funny because people will tell you that editors and agents don't like things that are too meta in the world of writers. But man... Readers seem to. And so I think that people have come around to that. I mean, I've got something called Must Love Books that I can see behind me. There's Beach Read, which was about that. Um, There's a lot. I just heard about a uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, the actress, Mm -hmm. has a new something in which she is a writer who can't sell her her latest book. So it seems to be... Yeah. yeah. It seems I to honestly be... think writing is a universal fantasy. Um, mm. I listen to, I like to listen to Cal Newport's podcast, which is super nerdy, and people will call him and ask him about their future. So, And he is himself a computer science engineer, and his writing appeals to people with that kind of brain, which I apparently have. But people will constantly call him and they'll be like, well, right now, you know, I'm exploring these themes of robotics and we're doing these words that I don't understand. And also these other words over here that I don't understand and this thing that I don't understand. But you know what I'd really like to do? Right. <laughs> right <laughs> and I'll be like, wait, what? So I, I feel like there's um, a universal fantasy element in that that I think writers or um, editors and agents are like, no, people don't want to read about that, but they're they're kind of wrong. I think people do. <laughs> so so back to what you're doing. For each of the books that you have risen to the top of the top of the airport bookshelf for you, you are looking at them 
in a the title the title exercise you did for the Emily Henry book is a really great example. You put 40 titles down, which if anybody's ever tried to do that, that is hard to do. And if you're trying to keep them in the same category, which is those meta, a meta thing about the thing, really hard to do. That's that's some like you're putting yourself through the and paces. Some of them are really crappy. Well, sure, but that's not the <laughs> Nobody point. Nobody should write a book called Jam Sandwich, incidentally. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. It sounds um, like, um, what's that children's book with a jelly? Francis. Oh, Jam for Francis. For, yeah, yeah, what is that? Sounds like yeah. that. I also um, have Pig Island on here. I don't know. You can write that one. <laughs> I, I offer these to you for free, my friends. <laughs> but you're you're doing something very specific to try to circle around what is it that that this person did that I could also do with my yep. thing that that's the work. So can you share with us out of this airport game? How many ideas did you come up with? Oh, I like did solid do. ideas. Oh, solid ideas. Um, I have four that I ended up pursuing further which doesn't even the others are, are solid but me or might have been solid but didn't interject. so i on the plane i made i did one i did a crowd idea two three four five on the plane i did six i said i would do six and i did six and i ended up expanding later on four okay so before you tell us what those four are what is it about a plane Oh, gosh. So the reason to do this in this spot and at that time, well, there's a bunch. Um, it's a nice way to use your time and feel good and feel productive, but also um, be sort of doing that, leaving the world behind. So you're leaving behind your current project. And even if you're in, like, you can do this even if you're in the middle of something, um, in fact, it's maybe good to do it if you're in the middle of something because you won't be tempted to seize any of these before they are ripe. Um, and you can just take that moment of being away from it all and use it to try to get your mind thinking about these things in a different way. And if you are um, pretty firm with yourself about the time, you don't have anything else to do. <laughs> It's true. You could be reading Emily Henry or you could be doing this exercise. Yeah. So right. that was kind of the nice thing. This was a six hour flight. So I spent three hours doing this and, um, you know, three hours doing other things. If I had had a four hour flight, I probably would have, you know, I, I would probably have split it into two and two. If I had a two hour flight, maybe I would tell them to try to come up with two ideas or four ideas in 15 minutes each. And they would just be a little less Honestly, half an hour was maybe a little too much to spend on the, the ideas. And I don't know that I actually, I don't, you know, I didn't write down the time. Um, and one other question. I, I mean, know I, here's you... so just, I want to just give you some other like things that I, I did as I was, I was looking at uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Um, that was the one that I specifically mentioned had, you know, appeals to multiple genders. So I sat down and made a list of, so the a thing about that book is that it takes place in the gaming industry. And it appeals to people who are interested in gaming and people who are not. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, okay, what professions or industries do I know something about or am I interested enough to learn about that I could set a book in that would have multi-gender POVs 
and would have that appeal. And <laughs> my list is like, you know, and things that both men and women work in. So I've got Olympic horseback riding. I thought you were going to say horses. I, mm-hmm. I did. I was Olympic, thinking, oh, she's... but specifically that. Chefs. That's a little bit been done, but there it is. Uh, dog training. Famous dog trainers. Journalism. Um, hockey. Zoos. <laughs> Zoos. <laughs> I, I am just winging it here. <laughs> um, the question that I had, I think, is important for your listeners because... You are an incredibly voracious reader, and I get the feeling that you had read all the books or most of the books on this shelf. What if somebody has not? It Can you still do this Oh, work? absolutely. Um, I had not. Like, I actually hadn't read that specific Ellen Hildebrand. I have read Beach Read. Um, what else did I do that I, I hadn't? Mostly I did focus on things that I had read, but... Like, I pulled up that one that I'd never even heard of and just looked at its synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you don't need to have read these to, in fact, it might even help not to have read them, mm-hmm. to just look at the back of the book and go, well, what are they calling out here? So, mm-hmm. but like, what's on the back of that book? And it's going to be, uh, you know, two friends who were never romantically involved start a company together and... um what, ride the wild ride of, of success. Will they ever get together and will they be able to find their way back to their friendship? Something like that. And from that, you can go, okay, you know, that's that's what we got here. We got multi-gender points of view. We got an interesting workplace. We got a long period of time. So that was something when I called out tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow that I looked at was that it took place over um, decades. Literally. I just so, pulled it up. I'm going to yeah, read it so, to you. Okay, read it to us. Sam and Sadie, two college friends, often in love but never lovers, become creative partners in a dazzling and intricately imagined world of video game design, where success brings them fame, joy, tragedy, duplicity, and ultimately a kind of immortality. It is a love story, but not one you have read before. Who wouldn't read that? (laughs) Let me say I liked it, but it's got some trigger warnings. Uh, there was a point when I was like, oh, I'm not reading this anymore. And then I finished it. Um, oh, and anybody I who's loved read it, it. Anybody who's read it will recognize exactly where that moment was. Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, but yeah, you could just take that and go from there. You don't need to mm-hmm. have read the book to play this game. Right. Um, if you're setting out to write something in that genre, yeah, you better be reading in that genre. But to play the game, no. And also, you could go look at reader comments. I mm-hmm. I remember doing that for um, Cersei because um, mm. I I still have not read it, but I it was a comp for somebody that I was helping, a writer that I was helping, and it was like, what is it that people are just raving about this book? And I went and I read all the comments on on Amazon, and and they were very similar. The comments you could what really... is it then? I I've never read that. Oh, it's a retelling of a Greek myth. No, I know myth. what Circe is. What is it people, like, oh, 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 when oh. you look at me and you say, this is a retelling of this piece of the Odyssey, I'm like, uh, so, and right. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got so, no interest in that. And plenty of people who also have no interest. In, I guarantee you more people have read Circe than have read the Odyssey voluntarily. Oh, yeah, yeah. I What I remember, I'm going to look it up to, to check my own self, but what I remember is there was a very feminist slant to it. It was mm-hmm. young women 
and this very feminist, like, right on energy, like, like, finally, we've got the women's voice, finally, we've got the women's centering the woman, finally, like, there was a lot of that energy is what I So if that was on the shelf, and you could see yourself writing in the genre, which I absolutely could not, then you would just be like, okay, feminist take back of a male story. Right. And granted, that's been, I mean, you can tell just by looking at the past two years that many, many, many people looked at Circe and said, ooh, feminist take back of a male-dominated story. I can do that. And that right. is not copying. That is not writing the marketplace. Um, that is going, oh, I want that. Right. Um, I mean, by, you know, if you're taking a Greek myth, by now maybe it is, you know, it is a little bit writing to the marketplace and maybe it's not going to work. But so I would strongly say, you know, you don't, you don't do this unless that book and that genre and that story really speak to you. It's not going to work. Otherwise you're looking for a way to make something speak to you that also speaks to readers, which we said at the beginning. Right. So do you want to share your four ideas with us? Maybe we should do that in our next episode. I think that we should. So excellent. Yeah, this is this is how to this is one way to come up with them. That's that's what we got here. It's so good. It's fascinating. Thank you for sharing your your exercise and your now we know what KJ does on the plane. And if you ever see her on a plane, don't bother her. She's doing very (laughs) important work. I always take pictures of the bookshelves in airports because I just, I just want to know what's there. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing all that, KJ. We'll talk next time about those four ideas. Thanks for joining us for this Summer Idea Factory episode. As always, you'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. And if you don't get those by email, you should, because every once in a while, we toss a bonus in there. Sign up at amwritingpodcast.com. And if I haven't already said so, let me send you out with the usual. This week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The hashtag amwriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. If you've been listening to Jessica Leahy on hashtag amwriting at all, you know thought-provoking, actionable advice is her trademark. But have you taken your relationship to the next level and picked up her latest book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence? Peggy Orenstein called it a vital look into best practices parenting, with advice so smart that we can all benefit from her hard-won wisdom. Conceded. It does not make a good gift in most social situations. Be warned. But it does make a really helpful read. And it's out in paperback, so grab one today.